Right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good man. Good to be back. Had a, had a few weeks off and what, what a few weeks it's been. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this one. How are you, man? You good? Yeah, very good. Looking forward to this one as well because we have... A special guest on the show, friend of the show, Patrick Ribeiro. He's joined us once before uh, and he's back again. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us, mate. How's it going? Yeah, all good, mate. Uh, thanks for having me uh, back on, obviously. Excited to be back onto the show. and We've got a good a good week to to lead on from in terms of Portuguese football. So, been an interesting one. It's been a great week. It's been a, yeah, it's been a great week of Portuguese football. We're going to come on to all of the main action from the Premier League in just a second. But before we get into it, a quick reminder that if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, rate us five stars. And we should mention, Barney, that we, we made a, a, an announcement in the week because there is a new way that you can get involved in the show. You can become a long ball football socio by signing up to our new Patreon page for just £1 per month to support the show. Uh, and hopefully help keep the lights on at Longball Football HQ for uh, another month. And also, I think it, further down the line, we'll, we'll definitely whack some perks in there, won't we? Because uh, yeah, yeah, I think the summers we've hopefully got some interesting podcasts coming. So yeah, appreciate anything anyone who joins. I think I did also mention something about uh, Longball Football pin badges. That was before I looked into uh, the extortionate prices that some of these <laughs> pin badge companies are trying to charge you. Uh, so we'll uh, maybe have to revise that one a little bit. But look, if you want to get involved in the Patreon, there's going to be a link in the description. Thank you so much to everybody who's signed up already. Um, it's been an, uh, amazing. We really we really appreciate it. Uh, and you can find the link in the description of this podcast. But look, let's get straight into it because there was a massive game at the weekend. Um, there's only one place we're going to start, of course. And I think it's fitting that just a week after Easter, it was the Premier League title race that was resurrected thanks to Shavs beating Benfica 1-0 courtesy of a 95th minute winner. There's never a bad time to score, but to win the game in the last minute after 95 minutes of hard work, of heroic defending, of battling that I thought Chavez did, I think it was close to the perfect performance from them. I think they took a deserved three points in what will be a memorable game for their fans. And I think, Patrick, in many ways, you could look at this as a, a kind of blueprint for how smaller clubs should play against teams like Benfica. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, we, we see it a lot, really, in terms of it's usually the theoretical plan. Uh, when smaller teams face off against a big team, they will try to be uh, nice and compact and, and try to pick their moments to, to, to hit um, the big teams on the break and have a little bit of joy. Um, Shavs certainly uh, they'd threatened before to do so uh, to get the winner they had to wait until the very last minute generally uh, to, to, to get that um, but you know credit to them for being as, as disciplined as they were Benfica never really were able to cut through and, and have that big big moment uh, up against them so you, you have to take your hats off to them usually in games like this um uh, where, where a big team would struggle. Usually a big team would have one or two like big, big chances to look back on. Uh, but I don't really think Benfica ever got close to that. There was a few half sightings and, and whatnot. Um, but Shavs, you know, they did very well. And Benfica's not the first team 
they they've caused a spot of bother to this season as well. You know, Braga and Sporting, um, two other big teams that that, that really found it difficult against them. Mm. So um, it's not it, it's no fluke really. Oh, the, the job that Vitor Campelos uh, has done uh, so far this season has has been um, has been solid, um, and they get their reward probably what might go down as one of their most their favourite result of the season. Um, and it's done it's done some very interesting things to the table now to the end of the season so um, it's good to see I guess for, for, for a neutral um, so yeah good absolutely let's stick with Shavis for the moment by me but of course come on to talk about what this means for Benfica I saw an interesting quote from Vita Campello she says after the game uh, playing against teams of this quality like Benfica we have to be humble and understand that at certain moments of the game we will also have a bit of luck and that happened but we also had excellent opportunities to score therefore I think it's a victory that due to organisation dedication and concentration ended up being good I think that echoes what Patrick was saying as well that um, obviously there will be moments of like like Patrick said there wasn't many clear cut chances I think I remember one little goal line scramble perhaps towards the end of the game um, but it felt like a deserved victory and, and the, the chance that they took in the 95th minute wasn't their only chance of the game. No, I think um, Janini, the striker, had got, got put through at one point um, and, and should have finished really, but Vlakadomis sort of got a hand to it quite well. But yeah, it's it's just the way... I think there's a lot to be said for that back line of Shavs. You know, I think coming into the season, I was excited to see the likes of Langer on the left and Correa on the right for their uh, attacking exploits. But I thought in this game, you know, both of them, <clears throat> though they were there for the for the quick counter, defensively they were brilliant. It was it was actually Bruno Langer who got the clearance off the line in that scramble you mentioned there. But then mm. it's the three centre-backs, Albert. Carlos Montz, Ponk and Vittoria, like Stephen Vittoria, that experience, do you know what I mean? It, it's, that that's crucial for a, a game plan like, like we've talked about there where you're going to have to keep things tight. You know, it, it it's, it was just perfect, and they just they just frust- frustrated Benfica. And I think this is you know we we really saw, I think Benfica running out of ideas, right? And mm. uh, and and that came from all areas of the pitch. You know, I think you look the likes of Rafa, Jao Mario were were certainly not at their their best in this game. Um, I saw a statistic that I think those two um, Grimaldo, sorry Grimaldo and Jao Mario have, have played about ninety percent of the minutes since Christmas. You know, and and this was all the talk after the Clasco defeat as well, you know, that we're, we're perhaps seeing a Benfica team run out of energy. And maybe if you look a bit further back um, in the midfield, you know, we saw the double pivot at Ausnes and the Shikinia, which I, I can't remember if we've seen before. Um, with those, that, that's your combination. I think Florentino's struggling to get back from injury and, and I feel loath to do it because I think I've done this so often this, uh, this, this season, but you know, the, the the, the lack of Enzo Fernandez, perhaps in Fernandez they would have had a player who that extra player getting forward that person that player was able to find that pass break break through that defense find the gap in Chiquinho analysis they they didn't quite have that passing ability that Enzo Fernandez once had and and, and you know this we've got to be looking at these details I guess as we get to this the, the closer end of the season you know what what what's going wrong with Benfica and it's uh, mm. Yeah, it was it was a certainly a frustrating game for them, but I I, I don't want to sort of t- take credit away from Chavs because they did really really well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? About Enzo Fernandez, I think Benfica without Enzo Fernandez should win this game anyway on paper, given the quality that they've got in the squad. But like you, I also saw interesting comments from people who've perhaps followed Roger Schmidt in in, in the Netherlands. People saying that 
something that has happened to his teams before is is an end of season burnout. And you know he does put a lot of pressure on his players, and they play high intensity football. So perhaps this is what we're seeing here. It's funny because I, I I came out of this game thinking exactly the same thing that I came out of the Clasico and then lost the Clasico, which is that this game is actually not the most important. The most important is the next game, right? Because there's still four points clear at the top of the table, six games left to go. If they win their next two games, suddenly, you know, there's only a few games left and they've still got a, a cushion. There's no guarantee that Porto are going to win all their rest of the games of the season. There's no guarantee that Braga will as well. So they're still in a good position. They're obviously in a difficult moment with the Champions League. It wasn't uh, the result that we were hoping for against Inter in the Champions League. Maybe that took something out of them mentally. Uh, it's been a congested fixture list in the last couple of weeks. They've Perhaps their heads are, are in the wrong place, but it, the most important thing for them now is for this to turn to turn around and not let this become how their season ends and it can just be a dip in form. You know, I always loathe to do it, but when, it, when I bring comparisons into the team that I support, you know, I support a team that's currently top of the league and we've been through uh, periods of the season where we we went five games without winning. You know, we drew games by conceding late goals, all this type of stuff. What defines you as a team is your ability to to uh, to consolidate and not let that define you and to pick things up. So for me, and the obvious question, of course, is is the is the title race back on? Of course it is, but Benfica have still got everything in their hands. They're benefiting from that incredible start to the season that they've had. They're allowed to drop points because they've still got a comfortable cushion. And I think you know, despite these disappointing results, there's still an opportunity to turn it around and finish the season strong. That said, one thing that I think came out of this game for Benfica was something perhaps we've not really recognised, which was maybe, feels strange to say for a team who spent so much money, but lack of squad depth or perhaps um, a manager who doesn't quite trust the options that he's got on the bench. If you look at the subs that he used in this game, Roger Schmidt, he brought on Peter Musa. Tengsted, Jarl Neves and Gonzalo Gedge. I think his first sub was in the 70th minute and then he made three more from the 80th minute onwards while he's trying to change the game. You look at the other players that he's got on the bench. Samuel Suarez, a 20-year-old goalkeeper. Morato, another young centre-back. Verissimo, a centre-back who's not played this season. Sean Doe, an 18-year-old midfielder. Uh, and Andreas Schlader, an 18-year-old striker. They were unused subs. So, Patrick, I'll get your opinion on this. Is that I mean, is it silly to say that there has that there's perhaps a lack of squad depth? Do you think problems that we should have seen earlier in the season are catching up with them, or do you expect this to be just uh, a blip in form? Um, I wouldn't say there's a, a lack of squad depth. Obviously, there are key components that, that are missing. We mentioned Enzo um already and how much of a miss he is. Um and you know when 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 a player has the evolution that he has, uh, uh, much the same way that Enzo did in those first six seven months, however long he was at Benfica, it's very difficult to replace that. Even if you do find a good quality player uh, to fill his shoes, which Shikinu is, Shikinu is a very talented player who's uh, found his way under Roger Schmidt, uh, and he, he to credit to him, he has put in some good performances here and there. But it's so difficult to replace that dynamic, um, uh, which, which um, um, for sure, I felt I felt like Benfica missed, um, not just in a game against Porto, but especially the one against Schalke. Mm. Um, so, so, so there is an element of uh, depth lack in there. Um, but you know, in, as you say, in a game like uh, uh, the one on Saturday night, um, when you come up against a team like Schalke, who 
you know, we're not blessed for debt fever. Um, you, you sort you sort of have to look at it eye to eye. Um, and for sure, I feel I feel like there was enough quality there. Um, for Benfica to uh, get the job done. I think there's an element in uh, the manager's mind at times. Um, it, it could go one or two ways, really. Uh, when you've played as well as Benfica have, um, you I feel like you tend to focus on the options that have always worked for you up until that point. Um, some managers are a little bit more rogue and they'll try something completely different, which works sometimes. Um, but I feel like generally managers tend to to go for the tried and tested. It was interesting to see Tengstead come on. Um, mm. uh, perhaps uh, he came on before Musa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think I think that was the only real error for Roger Schmidt there, is that he took obviously Gonzalo Ramjov for uh, uh for Tengstead to eventually come in, and then Peter Musa came in. I felt like it would have made much more sense to have. Gonzalo Ramj on the pitch with someone like either Musa or Tengstead, um, I feel like there would have been a lot more uh, connection up top. Mm. Um, he didn't do that. So I wonder whether his ideas were a little bit muddled in the moment. Um, and, you know, that could be quite telling when, when the pressure's on. I don't think Benfica have quite had the pressure on um, like they have now. Um, but you know, to, to answer your question, I think I think all these little questions, such as whether they have depth, whether they've got the metal to to handle the heat and, and all that, I think with a good result in the next game, especially the next game or two, um, all that could be answered. Um, and, and as you say, Benfica just need to respond quickly and and um, assertively. I mean, just to jump in there on on the pressure aspect, I think one thing that I because I think that is a, a huge factor here. You know, obviously the the, the amount of time Benfica have gone without winning the league, um, and and, and I, a few things that I saw at the end of this game that just didn't I didn't quite like was you know I, I sort of shared it quite a bit on Twitter that's seen a sort of was it Grimaldo sort of not really applauding the fans, sort of showing his um, sort of bit, uh, he was upset about some of the the boos that were coming from those traveling uh, traveling fans and. I don't know that those signs don't fill me with confidence. You know, I think some of Roger Smith's comments in in post match uh, post match comp, uh, press conferences as well have, have have just worried me a little bit because yeah, that this isn't just a a, a sort of a, a typical Benfica league challenge. You know, this is I feel there's a lot riding on this because it's been there's it, been that length of time now. They've been through such torrid times over the past few seasons. You know, they've seen their club just be mishandled completely and 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 we've had a bit where they've they've almost they've got it again and that realization where you know where at the end of this game where like are we actually going to get it is is it finally going to come back i think that's that's a little worrying to me because i think the, the pressure is huge and i think like patrick was sort of alluding to there schmidt's got to bounce back quick he's got to get his team going again and and see i mean I, I know I've mentioned it already, but some of those players just did look a little bit tired, a little like, I mean, let's Rafa's, I think a prime example. I feel like every season we've done this podcast, Albert, you know, we've talked about a Rafa who was unbeat, like, like one of the best players in the league and then just fades towards the end of the season. And that, that can't happen again this time. You know, they, they really need to get going again. Mm. Next few games, really, really vital for, Benfica's season. Well, let, let's talk about Porto then, because of course they were the team who took advantage of Benfica's loss the most to close the gap 
between first and second place to four points. That's the closest that gap's been in quite a while. Uh, it was a 2-1 win over Santa Clara. On paper, this is the easiest game of the season for Porto. But in my opinion, they didn't quite look comfortable throughout the, the game. I think they got the job done, but it wasn't always easy. They went ahead through an Uribe penalty. Otavio had an opportunity to double the lead with another penalty minutes later. It wasn't taken, but Danny Namaso got the second goal uh, in the 80th minute before a last-minute goal back from Santa Clara. So, not perfect, but it was job done. Barney, the interesting thing about this game was that they started without Mediterranean. I wonder how you think they looked up front. I think it looked a little bit disjointed. Tony Martinez didn't look amazing. Obviously, Daniel Amato done well to come on and get his goal, but despite Teremi not being in the best form this season, I think they they did they did look like they missed him. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he's he's such a, a he's such a key figure in in, in Conscious House team, isn't he? But but although you know, I think he hasn't been at his absolute best this season. I think a lot of credit, like you said, has to go to Daniel Amato because you know. The, the 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 his goals to minutes this season is has been excellent and and he he, he took his chance well he was it was a quick reaction uh, to get the finish um I, yeah I, I i mean we've just been talking about a benfica team you know lacking ideas you know that i think that's perhaps you know although porto are, are, are far behind have been behind benfica this season a lot there does seem that element of They've got something up their sleeve, haven't they? And Danny Maso, you know, he 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 was the answer. I thought, I mean, just to quickly talk about Santa Clara, but I think yeah. I'm really happy to talk about because I feel like this was one of their their best performances. They're they're all but <laughs> down and out. We've had like no positives to say talk about them all season, and they come and you know quite a de- defensively strong performance. They did frustrate Porto, you know, like they they were keeping it tight. Um, yeah, and, and it's just a bit of a surprise to me, you know. But then, you know, Porto found the way, and then they, 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 I think they did deserve their three points. But yeah, Santa Clara didn't didn't quite make it easy for them. Yeah, I'm sure when Santa Clara are in the Segunda Liga next season, they'll be thinking, "I'm I'm really pleased we only lost two one at the Jogao." Um, Patrick, what what did you think of the game? Um, it was it was it wasn't the most interesting watch. Let's let's be honest, but. Um, I, I'm pleased as well, like Barney, to see Danny Namaso get a goal. I don't know how much of you, you've seen this season. I think for us, obviously, we're big fans. It'd be interesting to get a different perspective. I think there comes a time in every young player's career when they start making that break into the first team where you're watching and you're thinking, are they going to establish themselves? Are they going to be able to make a mark on this team? And I think, although Danny's not had loads of minutes, I think the one thing you can say is that he has made an impact on the team whenever he's played. And I think a key thing has been him um, showing that he has qualities that perhaps his colleagues don't have. He has something that he can offer Porto that the other strikers can't, in my opinion, that would be maybe like uh, high-quality finishing. I think he's quite a mobile striker as well. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to get your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Danny, he's a, he's a, he's a really interesting player. Um, I know from his time at Reading, for example, when he was young, so he had a lot of Premier League clubs sniffing around him. And I thought Porto did very well to, to pick him up. Um, his transition into the Portuguese game has been very good mm. and that's credit to him and I felt like every time um, uh, he, he was afforded for example options in the B team um, he, he, he made it count and, and put in some good performances it's not easy for you to stand out as a youngster sometimes uh, when Sergio Conceição is your manager and I think he you know, he did it to, to his own son he, his, his own son who was this wonder kid at 
uh, in the Porto camp. He, he, he wasn't blessed with minutes at all. Um, so it can be kind of a, a little bit of a tough love relationship for, for youngsters at Porto and Sergio Conceição. Um, so I wouldn't um, look, read too much into um, the, the lack of minutes, shall we say, uh, that Danny Namaso gets. Mm. Um, but as you say, when he does get the chance, um, um, quite often he, he, he returns. And he's an interesting player to add to that dynamic. I do think that their their forward options, particularly strikers, they're all very, uh, very good, and they offer something different to Remy's. Um, quite a mobile striker, as you say, quite creative. Um, you got your, your classic uh, number nine in Tony Martinez, and, and Danny um, sort of fits in to the mould in, in between the two, sort of thing, uh, a bit like Ivan Nilsson. So you know they've got very good options. Uh, with regards to their performance against. Um, Santa Clara. Um, it was. It, I was expecting a little bit more. I must say, I know mm. Porto aren't the best team to, to watch, particularly this season, and and the fact that they have been second for so long um, shows that um, that the, the quality, uh, in comparison to like a Benfica, for example, has been lacking. Mm. Um, but with everything that's gone on with the result last week. Um, I, w- I was expecting a little bit more fire. I don't know whether that's still to come and whether um, the way results have, have gathered will, will, will ignite something in, in the camp. Um, you'd like to think it would um, from a Porto perspective anyway um, because, you know, it's this, the perfect storm seems to be brewing. They get the chance to ruin um, this fantastic season that Benfica have been having and, and gloating about. Um We'll see what happens, though, because, as you say, I, I, I feel like things just aren't quite right at Porto at the minute. Um, and um, it, I, I'm sort of wondering whether they, they will have the capability to, to respond um, in, in in the manner that their fans would like and, and would expect. As you say, Benfica, it's in their hands at the moment. They've just got to win their games. And for them to not take the title, um, it means Porto have to win every single game until the end of the season, which they can do. Uh, but that'll be a challenge in itself for Porto as mm. well because things aren't cushy on their end. Um, and I think the performance against Santa Clara, who have obviously been a big, big disappointment this season, um, the fact that it wasn't super, super clear-cut and, and Porto all over, it wasn't vintage at all. I think that shows a little bit of um, it, it lays it lays the issues bare a little bit at Porto, so uh, we'll have to see what happens there. We'll have to watch closely. Albert, can I just jump in here and read out the the running for Porto and Benfica because it's quite interesting. Yeah. So Porto have got to play in the league. They next play passes to Ferreira. Then they have Bovista, Aruca, Casapia, Famalicao, and Vitoria. Compared to Benfica's, I would suggest which is a little harder. Benfica got Estrela Praia, Gil Vicente, Braga. Autumn ends, sporting, and then Santa Clara on the final day. I'm just trying to add fuel to this uh, <laughs> tire race, but I think that's a little bit harder and there's a potential to to drop a few points there. But I think I also agree with Patrick that, you know, Porto need to, they, they obviously got themselves up for the Classico last week, but this was a, a sort of a, a performance we've seen a few times this season where they've managed to scrape through to win, but it's not been a, a convincing one. Yeah, and I think that's, for me, that was the only negative that I took out of this game was, and if, if anyone's not aware, chronologically, this game came after the Benfica result. So Porto would have known about the Benfica result before this game. And so to see what was quite a drab 
performance was a little bit disappointing. It just didn't fill me with confidence that, like you say, Patrick, like they're up for the fight of this last few games, that they're ready to seize this opportunity. Of course, that could all change in the next few games. And uh, there's a couple of tasty fixtures coming up. I think Benfica versus Sporting, second last game of the season is starting to look like an absolutely huge game. Um, and I think that is a good time then to bring us on to sporting. Of course, we make a habit of having sporting fans on the podcast. Patrick is another one. Um, I feel like when we last got in the podcast, Patrick had sporting one. I feel bad. I don't want to only get you on when when sporting had dropped points. <laughs> but um, of course, it was a disappointing result against Aruka. Uh, a 1-1 draw at home. Aruka, of course, to be fair to them, having a, a phenomenal, phenomenal season. They sit... It might be hard to believe, but just one place behind Sporting in the league table. They came into the game full of confidence. Um, and I think while Sporting have had recent success against, you know, obviously that game against Arsenal, um, it is fair to say that the form this season has been decidedly average. It was another disappointing result, I think. Faruka, an excellent point. And I want to give this guy's props and do his name justice. Ignacio de Arabuareña. I apologise, but the Uruguayan goalkeeper for Aruka, an incredible, incredible game in goal. Saved a penalty. To my count, saved at least one other clear goal-scoring chance. Um, Padre, I'll come to you first. I, I hate to do it because I know you'll be disappointed by the results, but your thoughts on this game will be will be interesting for sure. And even just how you see Sporting's form in general over the season because, you know, to be sitting in fourth place and, and it looks like it's going to be a struggle to 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 qualify for the Champions League in third. That's that's looking less likely now. Um, just your thoughts on the game and the team at the moment. Yeah. Um, so form-wise, obviously, it's it's been problematic. Um, but I, th- I think the whole season in general, in terms of um, in terms of just creating the squad, I think it's been obvious that we were going to be left with some gaps, some very crucial gaps. Um, uh, I feel like the board has sort of left Ruben Emery quite short in that aspect because we lost a lot of key players like Matheus Nunes, uh, Joan Bellina, players that would be hard to replace. At the same time, we had gaps already that weren't being uh, filled with in in the market, such as up front. Um, um, and then come January, we sold another key player in, in Pedro Porra. Um so it, it's it's we we've always come into things knowing that you know the squad's not ideal, and I feel like a lot of the players sense it um, uh, in, in in games um, gone by. You can see that the players just it's 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 a very different vibe and spirit to the team that a couple of years ago with eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds just went for just went for it in the league. And it seemed like nothing was impossible. Um, uh, I, I can see Ruben and Mourinho trying to instill some of that spirit back into the side, but it's it's very difficult to do that. I feel like he himself um, has lost a, a percentage of the hunger that he had, um, and he can see where where this is going. Unfortunately, I think it, it, I could I could definitely see a scenario where come the end of the season. I'd like to think he's got one more season in him, but I can see at the end of the season something like him joining another club or, or the club coming to an agreement. I can see that sort of thing uh, being in place. Um, it, it all depends on how this season ends, I guess. But 
If if we're speaking more recently, however, I, th- I think there was a time where Sporting just really weren't playing well at all, and and it showed in the results that they were picking up. I do actually think that since January, February at least, the quality of the performances has definitely picked up. Um, we are creating a lot more chances than we used to. I think we showed that again yesterday against a very decent Oroka side. Um, it, really and truthfully, we were unlucky not to have won that. Um, just lacking a little bit of cutting edge in in, in the box, really. You know, Morita had a couple of good chances. The goalkeeper, as you said, had a had a cracking performance. Um, not for the first time this season. Um, and we just lacked, and then obviously the goal that we conceded was was from a mistake, uh, which we've probably seen too many um, of this season. Lots of mistakes at the back. That's something that needs to be rectified. But generally speaking. I, I, I'm I'm of the opinion I'd much rather see my team turn in a performance like that but because it, it gives you hope if you see your team creating chances it means something's right and I feel like at this, in the first half of the season we weren't doing that enough there was fundamental issues with who was commanding play who was picking up the ball from midfield who was progressing play forwards I feel like we're starting to figure things out Um but we need the results to to, to fuel us further and, and and take us on, as you say, to, to, to what would have been our ambitions this season, our revised ambitions um, of at least getting Champions League. Um, it, at the moment, it looks like we're going to miss out, which is a big shame. Um, but hey, uh, yeah, we just, we just need to keep plugging on, try to get as many results as we can. I, I'm not sure. If Braga will, will will let us in at this stage, but we've just <laughs> got to keep plugging on, and then revise the whole situation at the end of the season. Go again. Do you know what I, I'm? I'm definitely inclined to agree with that assessment of the game because, you know, it has been a disappointing seasons for Sporting, and perhaps it would be too easy to lump this result in with other results earlier in the season where you say, "Oh, it's another slip up from Sporting." But I do, I do agree with what you're saying. On balance, Sporting probably had the better chances in the game, and as we said at the beginning of of this section, it was a penalty save from the keeper and then like another clear-cut chance save. So, you know, there were, there were chances to score. Barney Aruka's obviously a great result for them. Their season really has been built on them being difficult to beat. I think that's how they will come away from this game, that they were able to contain Sporting. And I think it's a point game for Aruka, 100%. They've only lost, I don't know if people know this, they've only lost seven games this season. That's the fifth best of any team in the league. No coincidence that they're fifth in the table. They've drawn nine games, which is the joint highest, I think. And it seems pretty clear that preventing draws from turning into losses is what sets them apart from kind of the rest of the mid-table pack, if you you want to put it that way. I think on balance, that's what happened this game. Um, They capitalised on a bit of a mistake at the back, but... When when you're when you're in form and your luck's going your way, you know you, you'll take you'll take that every day of the week. Oh yeah, for sure. And then I think perhaps if that penalty, uh, if Pedro Gonzalez to put away that first penalty, then maybe the game would have panned out differently. Because I think, yeah, that Veruca to get that goal that really played into their hands, and they were able to sort of shut up shop and just just frustrate uh, Sporting more and more. Um, but that that that's their strength, you know. I think there's. I was so glad to see Charisma play well at uh, the left back who. I think I I really came down hard on them a few weeks ago, uh, mm. for when he had a, a bit of a stinker of a game. The likes of Silla and Samal in midfield, you know, these are both players who have been so consistent 
Uh, Silla, I'd say, has got better and better every game I've seen. Samal was just at that bit of quality, you know, on the ball, and it just sort of helped them, you know, keep possession when they needed to. They've had an excellent season. I think just to add for another stat in there, Albert, I think they've won eleven of the fifteen games since since January or something like that. In their last fifteen games, you know, it's it's un- unbelievable stuff, and it's just, hmm. yeah, it's uh, Amanda Evangelista's is. is Put a really good team together, and they're 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 reaping the rewards. I think, yeah, they, they deserve to be fifth, and um, with other results going their way as well, I think they're looking better and better for that that final fifth uh, spot in the in the European places. Um, Patrick, you mentioned about Sporting struggling to take some of their chances. Um, I want to bring this up, this topic up uh, respectfully, so without being too harsh. But of course, Amram is putting a lot of faith at the moment in a young striker up top. Uh, Yusuf Shimiti, um, still only 18 or 19 years of old, so very young. Um, but he has struggled in recent games, I think it's fair to say, particularly I thought uh, in the Europa League against Juventus, he looked a little bit out of his depth. Um, what do you think of Amarim putting you know, his faith in Shimiti ahead of Polinio quite often? I know he does offer something diff- very different as a player. You know, He's a completely different player profile. Uh, he's very physical. He's He's much faster. But to me, I'm I am getting the sense that perhaps it, it, it's a bit like being thrown in at the deep end a bit too early. He isn't always matching up to the level required of him. I wonder how good that is for his development. And it is interesting to see reports coming out that apparently Ruben Amaro is now requesting that they sign a Sporting sign a striker. Perhaps you know quite a few windows after a lot of Sporting fans were calling for that. So uh, I'm interested in what you think of Chimiti. Whether you think he he can develop into a striker of the level that Sporting need, because for me at the moment, I'm still torn about whether he has the, the technical ability, whether he, he's a little bit raw at, at the moment and whether he really should be starting the number of games that he is. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting player. I, I, my fear is that he becomes one of these players who, at youth level, because of his size and, and whatnot, was way too good. Mm. Um because he's someone I, I've I've actually followed since he was about fifteen, um, and he, literally he'd bully the kids around him. It, it was almost like I don't know Ibrahimovic like. But sometimes players, when they find themselves in that sort of scenario really early on, they can struggle to tra- like transition into uh, um, the higher level. And I fear that he might be one of those um, that because they've had it so easy at one point in their career, um, they're sort of lacking certain elements and minerals to their game. I hope that's not the case. Um, but in, in essence, I like the fact that Amuni is, is giving him the opportunity. He does offer uh, sporting something which they don't really have, which is that aerial presence, a bit of pace, a bit of physicality. He battles for the ball. He he is quite decent on the ball at times as well. He's got some handy flicks to him and and whatnot. Um, but obviously, he's still got a long, long way to go in his development. He's very raw, um, and I feel like sometimes he comes across as too raw. And for all the um, for all the good that Amorim wants to do and giving him the platform to perform and hoping he gets a goal or two uh, to raise his confidence, raise his profile. I feel like sometimes it does backfire a bit and you end up seeing him getting hauled off at half-time or whatever, um, where certain aspects of his game just aren't really 
um, helping supporting at all in a situation. Um, it's a catch twenty two um, uh, for Amorim really, because um, as you say, he at the end of the day he's short of options as well. Bolinho isn't the ideal striker, um, and on top of that, he's not been able. He, he's just never fit really these days, as well. So his hands are sort of tied at the moment. Uh, Amorim. Um, yeah, I would. I'd like to say that should me do a few more minutes, uh, probably a loan spell here or there. He can, he can excel into a decent striker. Maybe not for us. Maybe maybe he is one of those players that needs to sort of go away permanently and and and, and whatnot. Um, to to really excel and find himself as a forward. Um, but you know, it, it's early for that anyway. Mm. Uh, I do think it's an interesting option. Um, uh, for us. Uh, but that's just sporting who aren't blessed with options at all. So I'm happy to see him uh, for the moment and like, getting his minutes. All right. I think let's look down the complete other end of the table and talk about Maritimo versus Passos. Now, back in October, we were talking about Maritimo versus Passos as being one of the biggest games of the season in terms of the relegation battle. Both teams... Uh, were on only two points from 10 games. Both teams were waiting for their first win of the season. And on that day, it was Maritimo who got the win and looked a much better side. Fast forward six months, and both teams are in a remarkably similar position. Only Santa Clara have disrupted the relegation battle and and, and not for the better. Um, but both of those teams are still fighting for survival. And again, this game looked like it was going to be the biggest game in the season in terms of the relegation battle. Of course, the one big difference was that both teams have made big improvements on and off the pitch since they first met in the first half of the season. And both these teams looked like they were ready for a real battle in the last few games of the season. However, it was once again Maritimo who came out on top and, in my opinion, looked much the better side uh, with a, a, a dominant 3-0 win. I have to say before the game, I possibly would have predicted Passos to nick it. I thought Passos had a slightly better squad in the relegation battle, but credit where it's due, Maritimo really outclassed them, dominated the game. They went into a 3-0 lead and it could have could have been four as well. It was a late penalty that gave really a consolation goal to Passos. It's a win that puts Maritimo firmly in the playoff relegation spot with a cushion of five points. Thanks to results elsewhere, they're now just three points behind Estoril and the unthinkable of automatic safety. Um, Barney, I'll come to you first on this one. How did you see this game going before the game, and what do you make of it now that it's over? Because personally, this was far from the game that I expected. Yeah, yeah, I think you were spot on there where you were sort of building up the the idea this was going to be a huge contest, a, a massive fight, a sort of uh fight to the death if you will but I, it was only Maritimo who seemed to come out with that sort of hunger and desire in my opinion I just I was I was really really disappointed with um, Pastor Ferrer I think um, they perhaps lost something with uh, Jordan Holsgrove having to come off early on and, and Luis Carlos uh, replacing him in that midfield because there was a few times where I felt that Carlos was you know maybe was with, with Pires and it sort of holding uh, midfielder, you know, Carlos was asked to get forward, try and get forward when he could, like, like Holsgrove would do, but then getting caught out. It was those, it was those transitions, wasn't it? As soon as Maritimo turned the ball over, they were so quick, and you had the, you had Correa, Vidigal, Jadas, 
And that was a really nice combination uh, from Jojo Gomes. I think one we haven't seen before with Correa sort of on the left-hand side, Vidigal more central than usual, and then Jalas on the right. That that works really well for them, obviously, with Vidigal getting his goal and a you know a decent touch and a, and a great finish. And 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 they just kept going with like that, Albert. I think it was I was so disappointed. I I, I think Delgado at right back really let Pasa de Ferreira down. It feels harsh to single out perhaps, but I just felt there was times where he was just it looked like he was jogging back when when Marita were, were rushing forward and yeah, I, I it was I'm really happy for Marita because I think they deserve they they deserve it. You know, they've they've got some they've picked up some wins. I think if, you know, we felt when, when Passos got a vital point or a vital win, Marita would do the same, you know. So they haven't really let Passos the Freire get get close enough and and with this win, you know, they're 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 well away now and it's 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 not it's really not looking good for Passos the Freire. Yeah, for me, the difference between the the, the te- two teams in this game was that Maritimo had players that that stepped up for the occasion. Yeah, you know, you look at players like um, Vidigal, who we've criticised uh, at times this season for not not being good enough. Well, he did his job in this game and got a vital goal. Uh, Bruno Shadows as well played very well. Val Suarez in the middle of the pitch, excellent. Um, and defensively, I thought they were much more solid. Whereas. Passos, as you as you articulated, Barney, just didn't look up for the occasion. They didn't look motivated. They didn't look switched on. I was really surprised because the impression I've had of them this season was that whilst they not, might not win every game through technical ability, they were at least going to fight for each result. But this looks like, perhaps from a Passos' perspective, that it, it was a, a blip for these players that's just come at exactly the wrong time, Patrick. Yeah, for sure. Um, looking at the game, I think... Um, if in my opinion, if there was one team that absolutely had to win it out of the two, uh, I would have said it would probably probably would have been Passos. I feel like Maritimo could have probably uh, taken um, the, the hit of the loss a lot better uh, than Passos. Passos, I think, um, I fear for them off the back of that result for sure. Um, coming into the game, as you said, Maritimo always looked. Um, the likeliest to score, the dominated proceedings, um, and I was just I was just waiting for a reaction from Passos, uh, something. Um, given how much this game means to both teams, the magnitude of it, um, and we we never really got anything, um, uh, from from Passos. Um, I I just yeah I just fear for what that means, um, for. For, for their players and, and their fans, like psychologically, um, coming into the final um, few games of the season. Um, great news, of course, for Maritimo, who, you know, they cut the gap as well between themselves and uh, Stadil. So they could be out of it altogether with a bit of luck. Um, you know, Maritimo is just one of those teams. Uh, They'll, they'll have the odd season where they flirt with relegation, but it's it's like a bad smell. You just can't get rid of sometimes. They just they just hang in there. They they find a way. It looks like they could find a way. It's still early days, of course, but it looks like they could find a way again after what what has been a dismal season for them and, and Passos as well. Well, look, they they've done at the very least the world of good for their chances of finishing in, in the relegation playoff and and, and that two game playoff. Although the last two seasons that it's been in effect, the the Premier League team has gone down. You just sense that Maritima will see that as as an opportunity to 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 
to do what we thought would be impossible and 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 survive. So they've done their season a world of good. For Passos, it, it's do you know what? It's two really bad results in a row now because they've done a lot of really hard work. They beat Santa Clara at home, their relegation rivals. That felt like a big boost. They followed it up with two draws. Not amazing, but you know, five points for three games in the position they're in. Excellent. But then they followed that up with it was a damaging three-one, I think, away at Family Cow. A game which they would have targeted as as a, as a winnable game, and then this game they follow it up with their most important game of the season, uh, and it, it you know it was really a damp squib from their perspective. So I agree with you, Patrick. I think although nothing is is finalised now, it felt like a bit of a nail in the coffin for Passos, and and I think that's really the problem. Barney, just quickly, then what do you make of Morita's chances of survival? Because, you know, I have to eat my words a little bit. I think five or six games ago, I was talking about Passos as the best team of the three with a chance to survive. Morita have, have, have done their job really well, giving them a really good opportunity. And I tell you what, if they somehow manage to catch up with Estoril, that will be one of the most remarkable survival stories that we've seen in this league for a, a very long time. Yeah, completely. And do you know what? I, I've this might not mean anything, but I just one thing I saw thought from this game was I was really impressed with the attendance in the stadium. You know, there seems to be a, a hell of a load of fans, and I just checked, and it was a, a, just just over nine thousand fans. But what I found interesting, Albert, you know, we talk about the Maritimo's uh, like ridiculous start to the season where they were just losing every game. Around that time, you know, they were getting about four thousand fans, and then from October onwards. Which I was just checking if it was in line with the, the manage, managerial changes. You know, they've they've not dropped below nine thousand, and that and that and that, I I think that just shows you something. You know that that fan base and and bringing that atmosphere at home and 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 sort of really rallying them on, it's it's going to be key, and it, it certainly helped them. You know, they just they before this game it was four two against uh, Boa Vista, a, a massive massive result, and and. I think they're, they're certainly going in the right direction. A few players we mentioned in, in this discussion, you know, Val, who I think came in in January, is has really boosted their, their their midfield. You know, he looks like a really tidy player. Obviously, got that goal, and then, and Felix Correa, who they brought on loan from uh, Juventus, who I mentioned as well. You know, that that he's really added something to that attacking uh, trio, and. I know I, I feel like I mentioned Jadas every time I talk about Marito, but I just think you know he, he hasn't really chipped in with many goals and assists right his numbers haven't been great but he's got quality and he's 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 been quite consistent i actually think you know d- despite not b- bringing in a- amazing numbers he he's been con- consistent he's been that that sort of driving force in their attack and yeah it's i it's it's looking really good for Marito and, and unfortunately I've, i hate to say it but not looking great at all for passers to throw well six games left to decide these two teams' fate. So, as always, keep an eye on the relegation battle. Um, guys, I would like to do one last game for this week. Uh, and I would like to talk about Family Cow versus Vittoria. I think this is a pretty interesting game to touch on. Family Cow moved to within two points of their opponents with a 2-1 home win. Both teams went down to 10 men, but it was Family Cow who came out on top to continue an excellent run of form. That's now four wins from their last five games. Vittoria, on the other hand, now have one point from their last five and have fallen four points uh, behind Aruka in the race for Europe. Uh, I just want to single out Alessandro Penetra for Vittoria, who provided my personal favourite assist of the weekend. It was a pinpoint cross 
from the right-hand side for Famalicao's first goal. The guy's meant to be a centre-back, but he's probably, at the moment, proving himself to be one of the best right-backs in the league. He's 21 years old. He captains his side from time to time. I love this guy. Patrick, have you kept an eye on him? What do you make of him? What have you made of Famalicao in the... Well, since 2023, really, because they've been one of the most improved teams in the second half of the season. Yeah, for sure. And it's... um. It's about time, really, as well, because given given how they came into the league a, a couple of seasons, seasons back, you know, they really stormed it. And we were all talking about family, kind of like, wow, like, who is this team that's just been promoted? Obviously, they had uh, a little boost from uh, a certain agent here and there uh, with the quality of players that they were able to attract. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it put them on the map and you're kind of expecting more from them. Um, but after that, big bright start in Premier League uh, life. They never really um, li- lived up to, to, to the hype um, uh, that, 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 that they uh, carved up for themselves. Um, but it's good to see them now, like, especially in the last few games, starting to pick up form. They're in they're in a good moment right now. And that's all that matters at, at this period of the season. It's moments like can you find yourself in a good groove and extend it? Um, Vittoria and Formali Kama right now, they're doing the opposites. Um, that's what, you know, it's it's much like what Porto and Benfica, uh, it's much what that scenario is, what Porto will hope will happen. Um, it, it makes things very interesting in that fight, even for, for fourth, uh, for fifth, sorry. Um, you know, Oroca has obviously had a great season Nothing's guaranteed at this stage, you know. If it, it, one bad result from Morocco is all that is needed for a little wobble in there, in their minds, and all of a sudden, uh, you got Vitoria uh, um, from Morocco and a couple others that can really press uh, and put the heat on. It, it, it's getting interesting, um, even in that perspective. Um, we'll just have to see how it unfolds. But obviously, from Morocco, a team that have lots of lots of quality to them. Uh, I personally would expect them to to be up there in that sort of conversation. You know, you mentioned the likes of Panetra, who's a a very young, charismatic character. Um, you know, they've got quality elsewhere in um, Ivan Jaime um, uh, and beyond. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's a serious team um, who, in my opinion, have been underperforming for a little bit too long. Um, the last four weeks have been much more like uh, uh, the standard that I feel they should be. Uh, um, the standard that I feel they should be performing at. Mm, I think that's a very, very good point, Barney. Victoria then on on the other end of the scale. Um, really, the wheels are coming off their season at, at the wrong time because they looked like they just kind of found some solidity, some consistency. They were putting. They put a great string of results together to get into fifth place when, you know, we were talking about a lot of these new teams on the block, about Kazapia, about Aruka, about all those types of teams. And then Victoria looked like they were ready to come in and just say, back off, this is our fifth spot. And they've let it go. Um, do you think they've got an opportunity to get that form back? And how damaging do you think another season out of Europe would be for them? Because it's been a little while since they were, you know, we remember them in the Europa League not that long ago. Yeah, it's hard to say really because I think the, the, one of the key factors has been the fact that um, they've had to make so many changes to that. The defensive line for me was is is the key area, right? And you know they've got Ibrahim Bamba out, 
uh, Andre Amara as well, Villain Waver, you know, um, and Bruno Varela in gold as well. You know, I think they're really missing that because that, that was what that was where the, one of their strengths were really, and they were able to build from the back in that sense. I mean, it, I thought Kelton uh, Bay in in this game, who wasn't he didn't even get a call up from the Portuguese national team. You know, I, he doesn't feel me much confidence. He looks a little flappy in this game. You know, I, I, I don't know, maybe that's a bit harsh, but you know that that partnership of um, Tunkara and, and Silva and, and and having to revert to four at the back when they you know all all season the Morena they've played with a um the, the five at the back with wing backs it just it, it's it's those changes which they've been forced to make really which have, have really not helped them it it seems to have really disrupted the rhythm they got going because I, I remember a few months ago I was talking about the fact that. We could see these young players coming in at the team, and and it was working because they knew the system, they knew what they were doing, but having to to make these vast amount of changes really hasn't helped them, uh, and and it's it's a really it's it's not a great situation at all. I, I, I it, it's been quite a rapid decline. Um, I I did briefly, but want to talk about the the red card for Rakelli for Family Cow. I think it was Zayda Yusuf doing the kickups beforehand. I don't know what he was doing, but he just, <laughs> I felt like it was all his fault that Rakelli had to make that challenge. And uh, <laughs> and obviously a terrible tackle from Silva for Vittoria to sort of even things up in the first half. Um, but look, just to sort of echo a few things what you guys have said about Family Cow, because I think they you know, we've said a few times this season we haven't talked about them enough. I think what um Jao Pedro Suja's really done with this with this squad particularly the, the last few months is he's found he's managed to find the best 11 out of this this vast array of players that they've had you know the likes of uh, Cadiz and Alex Dobra getting into this uh, team has really just made them a lot stronger particularly Cadiz as a vocal point that works really well but Alex Dobra the young Romanian I think they got on loan from a, a team in France he, he's come in and added that bit of quality and of course as we all mentioned Ivan Jamie coming back from injury is has boosted them, and do you know what? It was it was nice to hear Patrick there say about he felt that this is where they really should be and deserve to be because I I think it's a I've really struggled to come to terms of where I I think Famalicão should be in this league. You know, I think they've made mistakes sometimes in their recruitment, but but then you know the, what we're seeing now is is those those gems who they've unearthed like Colin Bato and the others I've mentioned. You know, they I I'm inclined to agree with Patrick now. I think they do deserve to be this end of the table because they've got some real talent in that squad. Well, guys, I want to end this discussion about games with two questions from listeners. So quickly, your thoughts on these two from our good friends at the Portugal Corner. And this is relevant to the discussion we've just had. Are the top five teams locked in or do you think there is still room for anyone to jump in? Uh, and just a reminder of where these teams are sitting in the table at the moment. Aruka currently occupy fifth place on 45 points. Vitoria are four points behind them on 41. And then you have Vizela. Family Cow and Casapia, all behind Vittoria on 39 points. Barney, quickly, anyone going to overtake Aruka? Well, we've got to see what um, Vizella do tonight. If they get a win, they'll get that a little bit closer. But do you know what, Albert? I, I, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line and, and maybe upset a few of our loyal listeners. Um, I, I'd rather Aruka get fifth spot than Vittoria because I, I sort of believe that Aruka would ha- do a better go of it next season. I think I really like the, the way they recruit and the, and the team they've assembled. And I know that's a very big thing to say. But yeah, I, I, I quite I see this. I see the top five staying. I've got I've got faith in Aruka. I'm very aware that uh, one of our Victoria supporting fans has just subscribed to our Patreon button. So uh, <laughs> you've probably done us out of a few quid there, Patrick. What do you think? I can't call it honestly. 
Because as I said, I think Oroka are in a good place, of course. Um, but, you know, with, with five, five or six games to go to the end of the season, it's it's such a long way. I think one one bad result, it doesn't even have to be a bad performance. Um, sometimes things are, are taken out of our hands and we get the wrong result. That's all that's needed for that to blow up right from, from Victoria all the way down to Casapia. I think every single one of those teams that you mentioned has a look in. Um, I'm inclined to obviously say Oroka uh, will do it. And obviously if Vizela get a good result today, that that, that, that boosts their chances. Um, I'm inclined to say Oroka will we'll, we'll secure it, uh, given how solid they have been all season. Um, but it's it's far from secure. It's It could go in any direction still, in my opinion. Well, what makes it even more fascinating is, of course, is that are playing tonight, depending on how that result goes. Who are they playing next week? Aruka. So that battle for fifth place is about to get very interesting. One last question, not related to what we've been talking about, but our good friend Jack Hacken got in contact with a question. This one's quite specific, guys. With Kazapia enjoying an excellent season and the possibility that Philippe Martins will leave in the summer for a bigger club, will Vasco Siabra take over the project and do well? I mean, as I said to Jack on Twitter, Vasco Siabra seems to be spending his free time on holiday with Alvaro Pacheco at the moment. So maybe they could come in as a little double act. Um, I suppose we should just frame this question as a quick opportunity to get your thoughts on on Philippe Martins as uh, Casapia manager. The way me and Barney have spoken about in this season, Patrick, I think obviously they, they flew into this season. They started so well. And I think the season's just caught up with them a little bit. There's no shame in that. They're a newly promoted club. Um, you know, these other teams like Vizela, Vittoria, Aruka have kind of just crept above them. But it's been an incredible season. And like, considering they must have one of the smallest budgets in the league, they've done they've done really well. Yeah, for sure. Um, they've been it, it's I think teams uh like Kazapia when they when they put performances up like they have done, particularly in the first half of the season, it's th- these are the moments that make you like smile and really enjoy Portuguese football for sure. Uh, they encapsulate that that whole underdog look, and I feel like there there is like pretty much every season there is that one team um, that does go above and beyond in Portugal. That's the nice thing about Portuguese football. Um, it, it it's been great to see them this year, um, and you know with them winning a little place in everyone's hearts, I hope that they can continue uh, on to bigger things next year. For sure, there will be people looking at. Um, as as the listener said, they'll be looking at the manager. They'll be looking at a couple of key players as well. Um, so there is the always the prospect of Casapia uh, as a project getting weaker before it gets stronger again next season. Um, hopefully they can manage that carefully and accurately. Um, uh, to you know, uh, be as strong as they were this season and and make make the league more interesting in that manner. Um. It could be tricky though. We've seen second season Blues kick in. I hope it's not the case for them uh, because they have been such a a nice little fresh fresh air. Um, We'll we'll see what happens with them though. Um, But yeah, for sure, they can look back on this season with lots of pride. It's It's been good to watch. As you say, it's so important to see how much of that squad that they can keep together. Barney, it's nice to hear Vasco Siabra get a, a mention on the show after a, a little while out of the game. Everyone knows how much we love him. Um, but could you see him back in the league at Casal Yeah, potentially. I think I, I think 
Perhaps me, yeah, the main the main thing would be Felipe Martins. I think the manager who's really impressed me and perhaps does I think certainly does deserve a a a a job at a, perhaps a bigger club. I think he's put a got a really good system in place. He's brought in lots of players. Um so yeah, it would it I think uh it'd be lovely to see Vasquez, yeah, but of course I want to see it back at the Philly. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I think that brings us to the end of this week's show. As the listeners know, though, we always like to end with a little game recommendation for something that we think you should be watching this weekend. And I'm going to say it early, Barney. I think this is going to be an absolutely great weekend. I'm already looking at a number of games that I think you could recommend. I'm personally going to stick with that game that I just recommended on Sunday at 8.30pm, you're looking at Aruka versus Vizela. Aruka at home, and it's going to be a real fight for that last European space. So, one to keep an eye on. Barney, I'll go to you first for your for your game recommendation. Yeah, I, I like the look of um, Saturday. Uh, Famicom and Marisma, both teams we talked a lot about on this episode, and both teams in in, uh, in, a, in a good moment. That, that looks good. Um and perhaps Casapia uh, Braga on uh, the the Friday night as well. You know, we we that that yeah, that that could be a nice little match up there as well. Patrick, what are you thinking? Um, personally, the, the, the two that I like to look of, as you say, I think for for the uh, context of of the season and everything that's still to be decided, Vizela Roca looks very tasty. Um, and um, I, I mean, if Roca win that, fair enough. Um, uh, but I, yeah, anything can happen. Absolutely, anything can happen. Um, and you know, the last game that was mentioned as well, because of Pierre Braga, that has all the ingredients to be uh, a, a, a Friday filled with goals. I reckon. Uh, so that could be a nice introduction to what could be an important uh, game week in the Portuguese league. Uh, but if I was to if I was to pick one, it it would probably be Vizela Roca. Uh, for what it means for that fifth spot uh, tussle. Can I just can I just scare Benfica fans a little bit? Albert? Are Estrel due a win? Are they, are they like? <laughs> Do you know what, Barney? I'm going to put my neck out on the line and say, seeing as they lost one 0 at home to Portimonense, I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> Although it could happen, stranger things can happen. Well, look, what I hope that we've got across on this episode of the podcast is that with six games to go, this season is really kicking into gear, both at the top and at the bottom of the table. So keep an eye on everything that's going on in the Premier League. Obviously, one of the main ways that you can do that is by following our guest on Twitter. Patrick is a fellow writer for Portugal.net. You'll find his articles on all things uh, Premier League every week. Uh, Patrick, we should say a big thank you for joining us again. I'm sure the listeners will enjoy this episode uh, and it will be a pleasure to have you on again another time. Yeah, for sure. Always always good to talk uh, Portuguese football with you guys. So yeah, pleasure. Brilliant. Until next time, thank you, Barney. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. If you've enjoyed the show, you can find us uh, on Twitter at LongBallFootball. If you feel like subscribing to our new Patreon, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there'll be a link to that in the description. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a star rating on Spotify or you could just enjoy the show and send it to a mate and let us know what you think. Uh, But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you.